Hey, good morning, Illuminate. So good to be with you all this morning. I want to thank the Swansons once again for sharing uh, their hearts with us. Just to give you the other side of that, what she said is very true. Foster care ministry is really holistic. Uh, my wife mentors several ladies from alongside ministry. These are ladies that have recently been released from prison. And for Mother's Day, we had them over at our house. And it was bittersweet uh, in that they have all lost custody of their kids. And so, um, you know, they're really working hard really, really working hard. They're walking with Jesus. They're getting their lives together back on track. And uh, it's Christians like us that step into that foster care space and care for their kids um, with the hope that they can be reunited. So, you know, just as the Lord lays on your heart, really prayerfully consider what your involvement might be in this. As you know, crisis, or Arizona has been deemed a crisis state because the need uh, is so great. So this is a space that we as Christians want to step into and minister well. So this morning we're in Acts chapter 5. If you're new to the church, uh, welcome. As Pastor Scott said, we'd love to connect with you if you just want to hit that QR code and we'll take it from there. We've been studying this book in the New Testament. Your Bible is divided into two parts, Old Testament and New Testament. New Testament writes a lot about the life of Jesus. The book of Acts specifically talks about the history of the early church. And that's what we've been reading. We've been reading this explosive, explosive growth. And that growth has come about as a result of what happened in the very beginning. So let's go back in time a little bit. And I'm talking about 2,000 years ago in this little town called Bethlehem. This baby was born. The baby was named Jesus. He would be raised in the town of Nazareth. About 30 years later, about 30 years old, he began declaring himself to be the son of God. This is a big statement. Like sent from God to rescue mankind from itself. Telling people that, hey, look, here's the deal. You have this, this problem. Nobody likes to hear that. See, the Bible contains bad news and good news. The bad news is that you're separated from the God who created you because essentially what's inside you well, it's robbing you of life. It's causing you pain. It's causing others pain. It's all the selfishness that we have to deal with. It's this idea that we just want to rip God off the throne and put ourselves on the throne, and we make really lousy gods. Jesus came to set all that stuff right, to offer us forgiveness of sins. A holy God can't turn a blind eye towards sin. He has to deal with it. So on the cross, all the sins of humanity fell upon Jesus. So when God looks at you now, for those who have embraced Jesus, what he did on the cross, forgiven, accepted, and whole, that was the mission of Jesus. And then to back it up, he had the supernatural abilities. He would, he would perform miracles. He would command nature. He brought this guy back from the dead. Of course, this is going to attract the attention of the religious ruling elite at the time. They were high and powerful and mighty. They loved their position of authority. And what was happening is that their authority was being jeopardized because the people were listening to Jesus and they were leaving them and following him. And they're like, oh, we got to deal with this guy. We have to shut him up. And so ultimately they delivered him up to be crucified. And they, they, they thought that they had dealt with the problem. But soon thereafter... The early followers of Jesus begin mentioning his name over and over again. They're becoming very vocal. They're not hostile, but they're very vocal. And the thing that prompted this, by the way, we, we talk about this a lot. There is only one reason, one good reason for the rise of Christianity. 
And that is, Jesus did what he said he was going to do. He came back from the dead. And so these early followers were like, okay, we can't deny this experience. We've heard Jesus teach. Some of them ate with Jesus. There's this 40-day period where Jesus made all these appearances. At one time, he appeared to 500 people at one time. People are going to talk about that. That's kind of a big deal. And so now it's as if the religious leaders are totally out of their mind because they thought they had ended it with Jesus. They crucified him. But it's like they threw gas on the fire because Jesus came back, made all these post-resurrection appearances, and his followers are just telling everybody, not only talking about it, but they're doing it in the most public place on the temple grounds, the most holy place for the Jews in Jerusalem, on the temple grounds. They won't be silenced. And what Jesus said is turning out to be true. He said, I'm going to build my church. And nothing's going to stop it. The gates of Hades will not prevail against her. And so the movement grows from about 120 to several thousand in just a few weeks. In spite of this external opposition, some of the disciples are already being arrested for speaking the name of Jesus, but the movement keeps growing. But then in chapter five, something, how can I put it? It's, um, it's, it's rather sobering because it's the first instance of sin within the church community. And it's so serious that God personally deals with it. See, there was external opposition, but now there's internal opposition. Things are, are, have the potential to unwind because of what, what's been brought to light. And um, when God intervenes, the end result is that there's, there's two people who are being carried out dead. <laughs> okay, it was all pretty spectacular. The movement was really fun. It was great to be a part of. Sure, the leaders were being arrested, but all these people are coming to faith in Christ, and, and, and now God intervenes. Two people are struck dead for what amounts to their selfishness. Um, you would think that people would want to stay as far away as possible from a group like this. But in fact, the opposite happens. Oh, and I think there's something really important here that speaks to our own time. See, people wanted to be part of something that was not only supernatural, but listen, they wanted to be part of something that was pure. There is a lot of impurity in our world right now. There's a lot of impurity in our world. It seems like all that is wrong has now been declared right. And all that is right is now being declared wrong. Everything just seems to be so upside down. Last week I said, I think now more than ever, certainly in my lifetime, people are looking for safe spaces because nowhere in the world is safe anymore. The world is eating itself. I believe just as strongly, the world is looking for what is pure. And when the church is pure, her influence is unstoppable. So with this in mind, we pick it up in Acts chapter 5. We're going to start in the middle of chapter verse 12. We'll get through the whole thing, but let's start in verse 12. Now, many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people 
by the hands of the apostles. So these early, early followers of Jesus, hands selected by Jesus, were given the special ability to perform signs and wonders. And in large part, that was done to validate the message of Jesus. We'll find out exactly what these signs and wonders look like in a minute. And they were all together in Solomon's portico. So I want to paint this picture for you so you can wrap your head around it. You can picture this in your minds. Let's just go ahead and throw it up there. This is a picture of what Solomon's portico would have looked like in the first century AD. A portico is a large covered area, uh, outdoor space. It was the perfect spot for large crowds to gather. Now, you can see that covered space there off to the left. And this is the temple ground, so it sits sort of on the outside of the temple courts there. And uh, it's, it's really interesting space. These large open air spaces were commonly used uh, as teaching places. Um, the Greek word for portico is stoa. In the city of Athens back in the day, the Greek philosophers would teach in the stoa, and those Greek philosophers became known as the Stoics. That's where we get our English word. So this was a very common place to teach. Now, here's what's interesting. This place, the portico of Solomon, it was owned by the Sadducees. What I mean by owned is the Sadducees were this, the super elite religious group, very, very uptight. These were the very individuals that actually delivered Jesus up to be crucified. This was their place of teaching. This was their turf. This is their territory. And now what we read in the text is that the disciples of Jesus are teaching there. And they're telling people that Jesus of Nazareth, the one that was crucified, came back from the dead, offers forgiveness of sins so you can be put back in a right relationship with the God who loves you and created you. And the religious leaders are completely out of their minds. They are furious. They're so angry. Remember, these guys, the disciples, are blue-collar, simple. They're fishermen uneducated. They're like at the bottom of the social ladder. The Sadducees were at the top of the social ladder. But in God's economy, everything gets flipped upside down, right? It's like this upside down kingdom idea. The first shall be last. Here are these commoners, and now they're commanding everybody's attention, and people are leaving the Sadducees, and they're listening to the disciples. So the Sadducees are upset. They need to do something about it. Verse 13, none of the rest dared join them, but the people, the people held these Christians in high esteem. Now, why wouldn't people want to get in on this spiritual bandwagon? You know, I mean, it's pretty amazing what's going on here. Sure, a couple of them are being arrested, but in general, things are going pretty well for everybody else. The movement's growing. Why wouldn't people want to be involved? Well, it has to do with, hap with, what, with what happens in the first 10 verses of chapter 5. Let me read you the result of those first 10 verses. In chapter 11, it says this, and great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of these things. What things are they talking about? Well, you can read it for yourself, but let me summarize it for you. What happens is these two individuals, a man named Ananias and his wife Sapphira, they wanted to have the image of generosity, but they didn't want to really be generous. So they, buy, they, they sell some land that they own, and they withhold some of the proceeds. So they act as if they're giving the amount, but they're withholding some of the amount, right? They want to have the image of generosity, but they don't really want to be generous. They just want to appear generous. So they're questioned. They have the opportunity to come clean, but they don't. God steps in. And it's as if he says, okay, this is the first instance of sin within the church, 
let me handle this. Because as I deal with this, I'm going to send a very strong message. Both are struck dead. And you're like, wow, okay, God, that seems kind of harsh. Here's the message he's sending. Purity within the church is very important. As it turns out, God actually cares about what we say and what we do because, you know, hey, what's, what's, the, what's the, the number one reason why people don't attend church is what? What do, people, what do people say? I don't like going to church because it's full of what? Hypocrites. And I said, that's right. Come join us. <laughs> Be one of us. We're trying. It's interesting because in the book of Revelation, there are these letters written to these seven different churches, and there's this common phrase stated by Jesus to these churches. You know what he says? He says, I know your deeds. I know your deeds. I know your deeds. See, if he was to write a letter to the church in Scottsdale, he would say, I know your deeds. And then what would he say specifically to illuminate? See, to one church, he says, you've left your first love. To another, she's like, hey, you might, be, be, you might want to be teaching the Bible. My friend bought me this shirt. He gave it to me last night. We were watching the fights together, and it said, it had a quote. It said, I never said that, Jesus. <laughs> like, That'll preach, and I'm wearing that. Yeah. You got to get, get back to the word, man. It's because Jesus knows what's going on. He knows what's going on in here way better than I do. And by the way, when I say church, what am I talking about? I'm talking about you. I'm talking about me. See, a lot goes down in the name of church. Let's blame the church. Let's blame the church. But really what we're talking about, we're talking about individual Christians that come together for the ecclesia, which literally means gathering. And he's sending a message, and the message is this. Our purity is so, so important. So you would think people would be terrified, and they'd be running away from this group. But instead, people are being drawn. Verse 14, and more than ever, believers were added to the church. No, it doesn't say that. What's it say? They were added to what? They were added to Jesus. We're not on a campaign. We're not on a membership drive so we can have massive church membership numbers. Okay, that's not what this is about. This is about people being added to the Lord. This is about Jesus. Multitudes of both men and women, so that they even carried out the sick into the streets. Picture this. They lay them on cots and mats, so that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them, and the hope was that they would be healed by the power of his shadow. I don't know how this worked exactly, but there's a story where Jesus, there's this lady, she wants to be healed, and she's like, if I could just touch the hem of his robe. She touches the hem of his robe, and Jesus feels the power, the healing power go out of him. Turns, the woman is healed. So there's, the, I mean, there's some crazy miraculous stuff going on through these apostles. The people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem. So they're fulfilling their mission. Early on, Jesus said to the guys, you're going to be my witnesses, and here's how it's going to go. We're going to start in Jerusalem, right here. And then it's going to move to Judea, and then it's going to go to Samaria, and then we're going to take this thing worldwide. It's going to go to the uttermost parts of the earth. So now you start to see that happening. Started in Jerusalem, now it's going to uh, Judea, the message is starting to spread from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. So this is what the apostles were doing. They were healing the sick. This is the power of God on display. The people gathered together. They expected it. The sick are coming out. All of this miraculous healing is, is happening. Um, and, and the church is pure. And this is important to Jesus. Sin is like a cancer, right? If left unchecked, 
it will become consuming. Now, just breathe a sigh of relief because God no longer disciplines the church in this way. If he did, y'all wouldn't be here. I wouldn't be here either. Okay? The room would be empty. Now, God has left the discipline of the church up to herself. Even more reason why your personal purity and my personal purity is so important. In Matthew 18, Jesus lays down the principle. If your brother or sister sins, go to him or her in private. Don't publicly confess another person's sin. Go to them in private. If they listen, you've won them over. And you always do so with the spirit of gentleness and grace. Knowing first you've dealt with the log that's in your own eye, so you can speak to the speck that's in another person's eye. Another reason why your personal purity is important because you have no right to speak into somebody else's life if you're dealing with the same thing. So we do it with a measure, a huge measure of grace and mercy and in humility. And if they listen, we've won them over. If they don't listen, then we take another brother or sister so that events can be confirmed and there's a, more of a sobering reality when others are brought in and and then if the brother or sister doesn't listen then we say okay now we got to take a time out because if you are blatantly in denial of what God wants for you and yet you claim the banner of Christian and you claim the name of Jesus Christ and what you're doing is you're not representing well at all and that's not good Jesus didn't die for a misrepresentation of himself. Right? He died so that we would be conformed to his image. So that's what I'm saying. We take a time out, and now we got to put you on the bench for a season at least, right? The author of Hebrews says it like this. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled, that means to crush, underfoot the Son of God? and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the spirit of grace. It's like saying, Jesus, yeah, what you did on the cross is of no use to me. I'll just do my own thing. A holy church is a healthy church. The apostle Paul talks about this little tiny, tiniest amount of bacteria introduced in bread leaven permeates the entire dough. I love what Robert Murray McShane says. Quote, it is not great minds, it isn't great plans, it is not great ideas God uses, it is great likeness to Jesus Christ. A holy instrument is an awesome weapon in the hand of God. This is why your personal holiness is so important to the rest of us. It is an, the evidence of a transformed life. So anytime there is movement in the church anytime there is momentum and there is progress and there is an advancing of the kingdom of God and his purposes on the earth through the church there will be opposition verse 17 but the high priest rose up and all who were with him that is the party of the Sadducees these are the guys that I mentioned earlier they controlled life religious life on the temple grounds super uptight and they were filled with jealousy they arrested the apostles and put them in in the in the public prison but during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, go and stand in the temple, right where you are, and speak to the people all the words, and I love this description of Jesus, of this life. In John 10, Jesus said, let me tell you why I'm here. I'm here 
so that people can have life and have it abundantly. We have a lot of people existing, very few living abundant lives. What does it mean to live an abundant life? Three things. You live life with meaning, order, and purpose. He's talking about life here and now, not to mention the life to come, which he secures for you as well. So the angel says, okay, you're going to be released, but you're going to be set free for a purpose. And that purpose is to go right back where you were and you keep preaching Jesus. So the religious leaders had all the power all the authority, now it's being challenged. They thought they had dealt with Christianity, but in fact, their efforts uh, backfired and uh, it's spreading. So they give more pushback. By the way, culture will always push back on what is pure. And I think one of the primary reasons for this is because people don't want to uh, have any sense of guilt for how they live. They don't want to have any form of accountability. and when there, when there is someone who presents purity, there's, there's, a, 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 there's almost an overreaction. You know, it's, it's because they see in you maybe what they want for themselves, but they can't bring themselves to do it. So it's just easier to cancel you. For example, let's just say, you know, you're young and you've made the decision in your heart and mind that you want to remain a virgin until you get married. Well, the culture is going to push back on that. Why? Because we don't have a lot of virgins. And so, see, what you're saying is, listen, I, my commitment, my devotion, my love for my future spouse will be expressed right now. And so you will be labeled naive, antiquated, outdated, and probably there, there will be some expert from somewhere who will be flown in to prove scientifically that you're wrong. <laughs> right? It was C.S. Lewis, I think, who first said, is, well, the man was a prophet. He said this years ago. There is no vice for which an expert will not justify. And so there will always be pushback. Um, Now, God may not give you an angel to deliver you in any particular moment, but what he has given you, I actually think is more powerful because he has given you his word, he has given you his spirit, and he has given you his people to encourage and support you. And I see a little bit of humor here because the Sadducees, they were the religious group that didn't believe in angels. And guys like, you know, you don't believe in angels? How did you guys escape? Well, there was this angel. <laughs> Never mind. So obviously, it's soon it's no, they're not in prison. It sends a shockwave. Investigation starts. The apostles are gathered up. They're demanded, do not speak the name of Jesus. And they say, um, no. We obey God and not man. And this infuriates the leaders, verse 33. So when they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. This is a gnarly group. Power and authority, man. It can, especially religious. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, he's a teacher of the law. He was held in high honor by all the people. I'll explain why in a second. He stood up and he gave orders, put the men outside for a little while. So they dismissed the apostles. And he said to the men of Israel, take care what you are about to do with these men. Guys, you better think this one through. Because remember before 
these, these days that there was this guy named Thutis. He rose up. He claimed to be somebody. And a number of men, about 400, joined him. Well, he was killed. And all who followed him were dispersed, and that whole little movement came to nothing. Well, after him, there's Judas the Galilean. He rose up in the days of the census and drew away some of the people after him. Well, he too perished. Remember that? All who followed him, they were all scattered. They all went back to their homes. So in the present case, I'm going to tell you this. Keep away from these men. Leave them alone. For if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail, just like the others. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. So at this time, there was a very well-respected school of Jewish thought. They called it the Hillel school of thought. Hillel happens to be the grandfather of Gamaliel. So when Gamaliel steps up to the microphone, everybody's like, oh, Gamaliel's talking. Shh, shh, shh. Listen, listen, he, he's got some street cred here. We all, we all know who his grandpa is. We ascribe to a lot of his traditions and laws and his interpretation and commentary. So now Gamaliel's speaking up. So what's Gamaliel have to say? So he says, listen, do you remember back in the day, remember Thutis and Judas? Remember these guys? Oh, their whole thing, their whole movement came to nothing, right? It just kind of rose up, they got killed, and it just ended. You know, it's like David Koresh claiming to be the Messiah. He rose up, you know, the whole thing went down, he's killed, and everybody just kind of went back to their homes, right? Um, well, that, that could happen again. And you know what's really interesting? There, now, you never need anything outside of the Bible to affirm that the Bible is true. The Bible is, is just, it's true because it's God's word. Um, but we have extra biblical literature that actually tells us about these two guys. The ancient historian Josephus writes about Thutis. And he says, Thutis did have about 400 followers. They were holed up outside the hills of Jerusalem. And here's what's really interesting about this guy. He actually claimed to be the Christos. He claimed to be the Messiah. 400 people believed that he was the Messiah. So they had their own little cult thing going. And then Thutis gets killed. And everybody's like, mm, well, that was fun while it lasted. Same thing with Judas. Judas was this, this rebel Jew. He, he, just, he did not believe that the Jews should be paying taxes to the Romans. And the Romans were like, oh, no, 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 no. You're not getting away with this. So they, they bring an end to him fast. And his followers like, next. So Gamaliel's like, okay, if this, Jesus is just like these guys, just let this thing go. Yeah, he's, we crucified him. But... The movement continues to grow. Why? Because Jesus made all these appearances. So because he made all these resurrection appearances, everybody's like, I don't really care what you say. I'm talking about this. This has to be told. So he's, he's playing it well-reasoned here, um, but unfortunately to their dismay, again, the movement continues to, to build. Uh, so that they took his advice, verse 40. And when they had called in the apostles, they beat them. And charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus, and they let him go. And now look at this, verse 41. How's this, all right? All right, so then the apostles left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were beat. That they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. I, you know, I just picture these guys. After getting beat down, they're rolling out of the place, and they're like wiping the blood off their faces, you know, and they're just like, oh. Look at this blood. 
can you believe we had the honor, the dignity to take one for the team? At one point, the Apostle Paul will say, now this is some deep stuff. He says, I want to know Jesus in his sufferings. See, most of us are like, I want to know Jesus like, you know, when he was popular with people. Paul's like, yeah, the suffering that Jesus endured, I want to know what that's like and for the same reasons. One generation stands on the shoulder of the next, so you see why we're here because of men and women like, like them. Two things bring about real change in this world. The purity of God's people and the gospel of Jesus. So look, I know that many of you have heard many, many sermons about personal purity. So many that it just, it gets lost on you. So many that it just sort of, it does nothing to affect whatever apathy might be inside. And that's real. Uh, what do we do about that? Three things. Number one, you look to Jesus and you look to the cross. And what do you see? Grace, mercy, forgiveness. You, it's just screaming debt paid. It's screaming God loves you. Secondly, you look to the Word. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You really do become what you expose yourself to. And you know, in our time, even within the Christian community, see, the Christian community at large, we've become really good at, at you're just projecting that everything is okay. And you know what? It's okay not to be okay. <laughs> and when you just saturate yourself in the Word of God, your heart, your mind, they become renewed and transformed. Because I tell you, if you saturate yourself with your favorite media outlet, Instagram, Facebook, news channel, you will become what those things feed you. It's like that story of two dogs that are waging war. And the question is asked, well, which one is winning? These two dogs within you are waging war. Which one is winning? The answer, the one that you're feeding. Sister claps over here. Saturated in the word of God and then God gives you his people. I cannot say it strongly enough. If you're not involved in community, then you are attending church and you don't know the church. Big difference between the two. So when people ask me, tell me about Illuminate Community Church, first thing I mention, let me tell you about the community part of community church. This is where the one another is. See, here's what happens when you're in community. You're like, I'm not in this alone. No. Every single person in this room has a massive burden that they are carrying right now. Check that. Burdens. Massive burdens that you're carrying. Primarily having to do with tension, unresolved relationships, 
family pain. And when you step into community, you realize, I am not in this alone. And I have help. And I can be a help to others. Download the app. Connect with us through. Uh, then what's next or next steps? Pastor Steve's going to be in the lobby. It is the engine that drives the church community. Jesus himself was in community. I, may, I don't just talk about this stuff. I'm in it. I participate in it. And then we have to ask ourselves this question from the apostles' examples. Does the valley know about Jesus because of this gathering of believers? Is Jesus being made known? These aren't word, just words beyond our walls. When you leave this parking lot, you are entering the mission field. You are a missionary. You are an ambassador. And I just love this, this inspiration from these guys because it's like they walk out and they're like, yeah, man, we just suffered some cuts and bruises. Hey, it's like, hey, Peter, pass the ice pack. All right, I'll meet you at the temple at 6 a.m. Sleep good tonight, boys. And there's so many things that just distract us unnecessarily. So we need to pray. Um, we need to ask for God's help. But we need to take the initiative and do our part. It's kind of like, God, would you do more? And God's like, okay, I've given you my son, my word, my spirit. I've given you the community. Hey, listen, what are you doing? No, I'm asking. What are you doing? So, Father, God, we thank you first and foremost for your grace, your mercy, your tenderness towards us. God, for the gifts that you've given us. God, for the example of the apostles. Father, I pray now, now it's our turn. This is our moment in history. God, the world is looking for safe places. It is looking for pure places. It has to be here. Father, I pray that you would convict where conviction is needed, bring encouragement, and above all, bring those things into our lives that help us to communicate who you are to a world that desperately needs to know. Father, there are so many in the room that just need to be ministered to right now. Lord, they need to release the shame and the guilt. They need to see the cross so clearly. They need to receive loud and clear debt forgiven. Father, it's all rooted in your love, and we're grateful for that. Lord, as we leave this place, God, again, speak to every heart in the room. We ask it in the name of one who makes it all possible, and his name is Jesus, the Christ, the Christos, the Messiah. And God's people said, amen.